Let's go to Norman, Oklahoma, and talk some OU football with our friend Chris Plank, Sooner Radio Network, of course, the Sooner Sports Podcast, also an outstanding download and listen to catch everything you want to know about what's happening with the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, Chris, this offseason is obviously going through the motions at this point. Spring practice is over. Uh, Brent Venables is getting all the goodwill he could possibly get in Norman, and it's well-deserved. What do you think in terms of how these first you know, six months or so have gone for Brent Venables based on how obviously the last regime ended, the shocker of that, and then getting Venables in? Is it living up to the expectations thus far before we played a single game? Yeah, so far it is, right? I mean, you haven't played a game yet, and you're in a situation where I don't know if I've seen the fan base this fired up, to be honest with you, Pete. It is, uh, it's been a wild turn in six months. You know, you think about, and I guess, yeah, I guess right at a little bit more than six months, to be honest with you, maybe like, what, seven months? Mm -hmm. Because if you think about where this fan base was after the loss to Oklahoma State, um, it was downtrodden. And then you add, you know, just hours after that, your coach, whom had been kind of pinned as the future, right? I mean, not just kind of. OU football was Lincoln Riley from his quarterback development to his, uh, wild offense. It was all about uh, Lincoln, and then all of a sudden he's gone. So, you know, it was it was a tough sledding. And look back historically, you haven't had a head coach leave Oklahoma since you know the the pre Barry Switzer, you know the Bud Wilkinson days. It just doesn't happen for another college mm-hmm. job. So that was a hard thing to handle. But I'll tell you what, um, with what Brent Venables has done, and instantly coming in and kind of challenging the notion that we're not ready for the SEC, right? Saying this is great what we're doing, but we're, and when I say we, you know, him talking about OU football, it's not ready. And they've they've stripped things down from a uh, facilities perspective. They're doing a lot of new things. They've uh, hit the recruiting trail hard. They've done it differently. You know, they don't want you committing unless they're not, if you commit, you're not going anywhere else. You're committed to them. So, it's been pretty fascinating to watch the complete 180 in where OU football was Lincoln Riley. And now, and again, it's not a knock on Lincoln. I'm not trying to take a shot at Lincoln, but now it's okay. This is OU football and it's the player run program. And, you know, Brent Venables is going to bring that attitude. So, you know, I think about this uh, too, in terms of um, how much of the fired up fan base angle is also just a still, and I know you're not taking any shots, but, a fan base that still is pissed off at Lincoln Riley, if we're being honest. And then, of course, you got, you know, guys like Colin Cowherd, who seems to want to tweak OU at every single turn. How much of that is also a a chip on the shoulder, which is weird to say for a blue blood program to have that chip mm-hmm. on the shoulder with the fan base, but it feels like OU really does right now. Yeah, because they, they got uh, their girlfriend broke up with him. Their wife divorced him and mm-hmm. went went with someone that in, in their mind wasn't nearly as, I don't know if I continue with this comparison, but as good looking and as well positioned as they were. I mean, listen, I, I have great respect for the USC history and tradition, but, you know, at the time it was an infinite gap between Oklahoma and what they were doing and USC and what they're doing. Now, Lincoln's done a nice job with the transfer portal, but – it just it didn't make a lot of sense for anyone to make that move. So I completely and totally understand Sooner fans' frustration with that. And, yeah, some of that still lingers. Here's, here's another part of the problem. It, 
just two things, and, I, and I'm not, um, you know, there's a lot of fans that are creating these, and now Tebow, when they talk about the the uh, the Lincoln-Riley factor, yeah. the, the, <laughs> the out west, right? Yeah. Um, they call him the mule shoe snake and other things. I've never really been that guy. But I, I just wish there would be a hint of honesty in saying, yeah, you know what, this didn't really come together overnight because there's no way it could have to make this life-changing a decision and you have to take him at his word. That's what Joe C said. And listen, I, I got to take him at his word. But now that, you know, you've kind of gone through it, there's a lot of things that have happened. And you're like, this seems to make a lot of sense. So with that said, um, yeah, there's still a lot of frustration from Lincoln leaving. And then add that he continues to take little shots. I don't know if he's doing it on purpose. Lincoln's not the, the most media savvy dude. He doesn't, he doesn't do no. a lot. This is the most media he's done since he took this job. I mean, it. It was few and far between, you know, when he would pick and choose to do shows or when he he would do, you know, events. So um, I'm, I'm glad that he's coming out of his shell a bit because he's got a great personality. But, I mean, even his comment about, you know, we went in with, you know, the fourth best roster in the playoffs. And, you know, you're not wrong in a couple of those, but that 2017 team was stacked when they went in. So it just – it feels like every time this continued – reinforcement of Sooner football happens with Brent Venables, there's always this little shot that seems to be taken uh, through some Lincoln Riley. And it's just, it's one of those reminders where it's like, you, what are you doing here? So it's, it's kind of like the Draymond Kevin Durant thing. It's like move past it, but every so often something pops up where there's another comment that riles everyone up. Well, yeah, and not to relitigate past history, but, you know, you can say you got the fourth best roster. You're up, what, 31-17 at halftime. I mean, you know, <laughs> oh, gosh, not that we have to go you down that road. You are not wrong. You are not wrong. Oh, all right. Well, Chris, as we look to the present and the future, the NIL world, I mean, how that's obviously changing college sports and uh, we've talked a lot about it from a Big 12 perspective and, and maybe who might get left behind in the Big 12. How does a, a Kansas State uh, handle an NIL going up when you've got, you know, Texas and USC? Uh, we saw Quinn Ewers down at Texas just got an Ashton Martin as part of a deal, an NIL deal. Oklahoma, uh, where where do they stack up, especially with the SEC move eventually coming? How are they set up in this new NIL world, which uh, – you know, feels like it's in many ways pay for play, just out in the open now. Yeah, they're, they're, they've embraced it. You know, they're not. I, you're not seeing an Oklahoma program that is saying, "Oh, NIL is something we're not going to worry about." They've they've embraced it. They're focused on it. They know what they need to do. But Pete, it's it's interesting because you know it's not something I don't think, and who knows? Maybe this changes over time. But I don't think you're going to see anyone choose Oklahoma because of an NIL deal that they have for them right now. Um, it's it. And I know that that seems, it's not as if there's bad deals. It's not as if there's not, I mean, you, you of the early kind of boomers, if you will, in the world, no one was more successful than Sir he was everywhere. But, you know, Brent Venables has said, we're going to have a great plan in place. We want our players to, you know, make money off their name, image, likeness. But I don't think you're going to see a situation um, like the Jordan Addison situation. They're not going to be where they can go out there and say, oh, but wait, we've got 500 grand for you here on this deal. You know, everything that NIL is not supposed to be. So um, they've, they've really, they've come up with co-branding stuff, with merchandise, which has been really big for sports like 
softball and baseball. They've obviously implemented it first in football with uniforms and things of that nature. But um, it's not as aggressive as what we've seen at places like Miami. They don't have a billion-dollar booster who's just doling out deals left and right to get people to come there. Um, it's not like what we've seen reportedly, want well, to be careful here, at A&M. So, mm-hmm. um, but they've got a collective that Barry Switzer put together. They've got a couple of more that are you know, in the works, and I think that they've got a really you know, good plan as much as they can be involved in the planning of, of this. Hey, before we continue with uh, Chris Plank, by the way, guys, just want to make sure that you take a moment out, if you could, give me 30 seconds of your time, leave a rating and a review on this podcast in iTunes, and then uh, send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we'll get you hooked up with a free Heartland College Sports koozie when you leave a rating and a review on this show. It's my way of saying thank you, and the only way to get that Heartland College Sports koozie is to leave that rating and review and then send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. So appreciate you guys. Chris Plank is joining us, uh, Sooner Sports Network, of course, and the Sooner Sports Podcast doing great work there. So, Chris, uh, take me through then uh, this move to the SEC. I mean, the Big 12 is set to welcome BYU next year, and we believe that Cincinnati, UCF, uh, also going to be coming, of course, next year, along with Cincinnati, uh, Houston, UCF. Those three are believed to be coming as well in 2023. Uh, does OU really want to hang around now till 2025? Is that something they really are interested in doing? Do you see any way, as a result, they pay that massive uh, buyout fee to get out early? No, I don't, and it's interesting because a lot of people, Pete, took what happened with the um, with the new Sooner Vision on ESPN Plus deal, and they they laid that out to basically kind of, I guess you could say, theorize that the move to the SEC is coming sooner rather than later. Um, I don't think the Sooner Vision on ESPN Plus deal has anything to do would potentially leaving early for the SEC. What I think would be interesting is that SEC TV deal kicks in in 2024. So, I mean, I, I think both Oklahoma and Texas are okay, which I never thought was the case until recently. I think, I think they're okay with waiting until 2025. I really do. But if something comes up where the Big 12 might say, hey, Got a new commissioner here that's taken over with Bullsby being out, whomever that's going to be, and we're going to go ahead and start moving forward. Let's let's come to a lesser agreement on this buyout. Then maybe something will happen. I don't know if ESPN would be a fan of that, but then again, in the same vein, it's only strengthening their package for the SEC. I know Fox definitely wouldn't, so maybe they would be the ones fighting it. But yeah, I'm. I'm I'm absolutely positively in the dark about if this move happens earlier, but I do know it's been a nonstop topic of conversation uh, on our shows, and you know, not just trying to figure out what the the divisions or the lack of divisions are going to look like, but also when is this going to happen? When is this move going to take place? And is it truly going to be sooner rather than later? Yeah, do you, do you know if there's any truth to the idea that Texas does want to leave early and would pay to leave early but wants to leave with Oklahoma and Oklahoma basically either doesn't want to pony up or can't pony up to get out early? I, yeah, I don't think there's anything to that. 
I mean, it's interesting, right? And it kind of adds for, you know, some some juicy storylines. But in all honesty, I just I don't think there's anything to that. I think that, you know, if if Texas were to come to Oklahoma and say, "Man, we're ready, we're gonna go," I think Oklahoma would do some soul searching and probably go with them. But, you know, who knows? Um, I I I know that as much as I thought that there might be a rush to go ahead and get there. I don't necessarily know if that's the case for Oklahoma. I don't know if they're racing to get to the SC that realize there's some things they need to continue to improve. They're, you know, gutting their football facilities and redoing them. Uh, they're building a new softball stadium. There's improvements coming to baseball. Um, they've got some facility things that they are obviously working on, but I don't think there is either a, um, not, you know, oh, no, we don't want to go till 2025, or, oh, my gosh, we got to get there before 2025. If, if a situation arises where they can get out earlier without having to pay the, what is it, $80 million, then I think that they would look at doing that. But, again, I don't think either side is, is necessarily racing. They still get a good chunk of money from the Big 12. Um, and I think that the whole deal all along was to try to do this without having to pay any extra money to get out early. I'd if, if Texas A&M doesn't blow the, the roof off this thing last year, we wouldn't have found out until probably right before the season started. So um, it, it's just, to me, to me, I don't see either side necessarily rushing to get out, and that's not a knock on the Big 12 or a knock on the SEC. It's just, hey, we're going to stay through the grant of rights, uh, and then when the time is right, we'll go. Last thing on uh, Dylan Gabriel, quarterback coming in from UCF and uh, obviously knows Jeff Levy from his time together at UCF. Most recently, Levy at Ole Miss. Everyone kind of knows the story now, but for those who don't, the setup there, though, for me, uh, Chris, is thinking more about what Oklahoma's done at that position in recent years with obviously Heisman winners, Heisman finalists. And everyone, I think, kind of expects that Gabriel's going to have these big, gaudy numbers and, you know, he's going to do great and everything's going to be well and good. But how much of these expectations are based on what we've seen the last five years under Lincoln Riley? And, I mean, how unlikely it is for any program to have this kind of stretch at the most important position in the sport? Yeah, it's one of the most incredible runs that we've ever seen at the position of quarterback, right? Where you have, you know, a Heisman Trophy winner that was a four-year, three-year starter and, you know, Baker Mayfield. Um, You had a Heisman Trophy winner as a one-year starter in Kyler Murray, who was also the first-round pick in the draft, you, you know, the first overall pick in the draft, you bring a transfer in and Jay – I mean, it, everyone knows the history. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of, well, we've always been good on offense, so we'll continue to be good. But I think there's some excitement here because of, of Jeff Levy. And it's not just they, – they didn't go and recycle uh, an offensive coordinator. I think Levy is the guy that comes in and Oklahoma's going to mash the gas a little more. You bring in a guy in Dylan Gabriel who – while he's coming off an injury, has had some success uh, in college football. I'm just, I'm a firm believer that you know this is this is going to be an offense that might skip a bit of a beat, but in what in what Jeff Levy has planned and in what Jeff Levy has put together, you know, not just historically at Ole Miss, but also in his time at Baylor, I think you're going to see an Oklahoma offense that, at least in the way that it's established itself and it's set up is going to have success. It's going to go out, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to make some plays. Now, will it be at the Lincoln-Riley level? Let's see, how, let's see how Dylan Gabriel develops. But that D word, that development word, is a big word that's been used quite a bit whenever we're talking about uh, some of the youngsters in this offense. 
It is going to be a heck of a lot of fun uh, to watch and to follow and make sure that you're following Chris Plank through the whole thing, Sooner Radio Network, and also the Sooner Sports Podcast, as good as it gets for not just Oklahoma football, but Oklahoma sports. Uh, Chris, love having you on the show. Thanks for being here, my friend. Appreciate it. Thanks, Pete. Call anytime, man. Appreciate you. He's the man, Chris Plank. Doing great work there uh, in Norman. I'm Pete Mundo. We've got uh, some more coming your way here talking about uh, Big Ten, $1 billion TV deals. But just a reminder, take 30 seconds out. Leave me that rating and a review on this show. We'll get you a free Heartland College Sports koozie when you leave me a rating and a review and you send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. It'll take you 30 seconds and uh, we so appreciate appreciate you guys doing that because that's how we beat ESPN and Fox and all the big guys when it comes to the Big 12 podcasts. Final few minutes on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, independent Big 12 digital media outlet. I'm Pete Mundo. It is great to be here with you wrapping up the show as uh, we do each and every week at this time. And uh, for those of you on the radio side, so appreciate all our affiliates and um uh, they have continued to be a great part of what we do here at Heartland College Sports. So I'm not sure if you saw this, but the Big Ten, yes, the Big Ten, is set to become the first conference to earn $1 billion per year. You heard that right. $1 billion per year in media rights. Woo, baby, that's a big amount of dough, big amount of cash. Big amount of, I mean, that's as big as it gets, right? A billion dollars for 14 teams. So that would be on average $71 million per team in payout each year. If that does hold up as true. Uh, The report came down from the Sports Business Journal's John Urand, I believe is how you say it. If not, I apologize, John. But um, if, if regardless... You're looking at a billion dollars per year. Now, when you got brands like Ohio State and Michigan, they certainly have the star power to get a deal like that. But that's why I feel like the Big 12 is in a really good place. That's why I feel like, and we talked about it um, earlier in this show, if you're on the radio, we talked about it in a podcast earlier this week, if you're on the podcast. But that's where, like, I, I say to myself for the Big 12, everyone's like, well, is the Big 12 going to really get that much money without true blue bloods? Big 12 is the only Power 5 conference that's going to have three time zones. That's a huge win. And now you also have all these other competitors who are going to be getting into the sports media landscape for this cycle. Forget just the usual ESPN Fox and then maybe CBS and maybe NBC wants something else beyond Notre Dame. Uh, CBS would use CBS Sports Network, Paramount Plus, whatever. But Amazon, right? Apple, they're all going to have interest. YouTube, I I mean, the list goes on and on and on in terms of different digital outlets and digital arms that could say, we're getting into sports programming and we're going to pay a fortune for it. And it may be they're paying beyond what it's worth, but uh, like whoever gets the Big Ten, someone else is going to lose out. Amazon could say, screw it, we're going to pay 50 to $60 million a team for the Big 12. And if that were to end up happening... The Big 12 is not going to fall behind the SEC or the Big 10 if those two conferences are getting 60 to 70 million a year and the Big 12 is only getting 50 to 60 million a year. I know it's an arms race in college athletics, but like fill in the blank in the Big 12, doesn't matter which program you want to talk about, whether it's a new school like Cincinnati, whether it's Kansas State, Texas Tech, whoever, 
you're not going to be able to cry poor if you got a TV deal at 50 plus million dollars per team. Oh, the SEC is getting 70. I, I know that $20 million is a lot of money, but that's not going to be the main reason you would fall behind theoretically, especially when you have boosters you can go to who can make up the difference, whether it's in NIL money or anything else for that matter. It, it's just a, a very good place for this league to be right now, knowing that the Big Ten is next up for a TV deal and is going to set the bar and the bar is going to be set pretty high. And I don't expect the Big 12 to get Big Ten money, but with what they are going to bring to the table, two-way TV network, they are going to be in a very good place. And the Big 12 should be very pumped about that. They should be promoting that, and they should be excited about that as well. So watch it closely. It's going to be a heck of a lot of fun to follow. And, of course, we'll be all over it here on Heartland College Sports. Uh, We do have Big 12 media days for football coming up next month, about five weeks away. And we will have a full staff down that way in Arlington, Texas, that week. Woo! Boy, it's right around the corner. Right around the corner. And if you're a baseball, softball fan, there's been a ton of content on the site this week. Go check it out right now at heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. We appreciate you guys, as always, being here, being a part of the show. And um, if you're on the podcast, leave that rating and review. Then send me an email to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. We'll get you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail. Have a great rest of your week and weekend. We'll talk to you next week, same time, same place, Heartland College Sports. Take care.